the Mind Your OT Business Podcast, where we empower and equip occupational therapy practitioners to be savvy and successful entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Laura Park Figueroa. Ready to take action? Let's jump in. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for episode 12 of Mind Your OT Business. I have been so encouraged by all of the comments that I'm getting on Facebook, on Instagram, in my email inbox as people join the email list. It is just encouraging my soul. I am sorry if I cannot reply to all of you. I encourage you to leave questions on the SpeakPipe app on the website. If you go to mindyourotbusiness.com, you can click ask a question and you can have your question recorded and answered on the podcast. Or you can ask your questions via email and I will try to cover them on the podcast. But I wish I could reply to everyone. I I want everyone to know that I am so encouraged when I get those emails in and it just spurs me onward in continuing to do the podcast. So I appreciate all of you. You're the best. Today, we have an awesome interview with Erica Shoup of Wild Roots Therapy in Billings, Montana. She operates a private practice that is a niche-based model using a multidisciplinary approach of OTs and counselors to work with children who have experienced trauma. This is a very niche market, and Erica serves primarily Medicaid clients in her practice, which is possible in her area, and we talk about why that is possible and how she is still running a financially sustainable practice, serving a high percentage of her clientele as Medicaid clients. So I think a lot of people will be interested in this topic. Other things that we cover include having an entrepreneurial mindset, how that really affects how you do your work in your business, how business coaching can really impact your performance and your success as a business owner and as an entrepreneur. And of course, the famous question we always ask, the biggest mistake that we make in our business and what we can learn from that. And you'll hear that at the end of the episode. Erica just had so many little nuggets of wisdom to share. And I know that you're going to enjoy this episode. So here's our interview with Erica Shoup of Wild Roots Therapy in Billings, Montana. So Erica, welcome to the Mind Your OT Business podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I just think you're going to have so much to share with people and I can't wait to dive into all these questions. But we're going to start with the first one that kind of lays the foundation for everything we will talk about after. So tell us how you started your current business and all the way up till what it looks like right now. Okay. We have to back up, I think, about nine years to March 2010, I would guess, is when I first went into full-time private practice. I'd been contracting with rural school districts before then and doing some moonlighting here and there, but finally jumped into it full-time March 2010 when I had the opportunity to join in sublease space with a person who had already been a bit of a mentor to me. So I was able to work alongside her and under her for... um, about six years until I had some staffing changes and I just kind of had these rumblings of I was wanting to take things in a different direction. And so last spring, and I guess April of that would have been 18, I went ahead and rebranded and jumped entirely into my own space with new staff and went in the direction that's really my passion and my why of seeing mostly kids that have had early childhood trauma. So here we are, I guess we're about 18 months in and I've doubled my space and my staff. So it is a wild ride. That is amazing. In 18 months, let's repeat that again for everyone listening. In 18 months, you doubled your space and your staff. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. So we're all just going to sit at your feet and listen to whatever you tell us to do during this episode. <laughs> no, that would be, that would be a good idea. That is fabulous. That's just, that's just fabulous. I'm so many questions coming from here. So I, I really, it's, it's really hard with this podcast, honestly, because I know that people are coming to this podcast for business content, but I just want to give you a few minutes of space to talk about the, the concept of working with children who have experienced trauma. 
And I know the focus of this podcast is not really OT treatment, but I do think that this is such an area where many OTs aren't informed or maybe don't know how trauma can impact kids that they're seeing, maybe in the school setting, especially. We see a lot of kids in schools from a wide variety of backgrounds. And so I just want to give you a little time that's not businessy because I have a ton of business questions, but I want you to talk a little bit about that experience and and what it's like. How is it different maybe from traditional OT practice with children? Okay. Um, I will start that off with saying that I'm also a foster and adoptive mom. And to back that up even further, I had the opportunity to travel to Russia as a brand new OT two summers in a row and spend about two and a half weeks working with kids with special needs in orphanages and in different settings in that environment. And that really sparked some big questions for me as a therapist. It was, I always say, I don't know that I contributed much to those kiddos but it definitely contributed to my professional growth. Mm. And I hope that through those kids, I'm now able to help a lot of other kiddos. So I started just seeing some similarities in kids that I was working with back here in Montana, kids that were coming from really hard places. And some of those kids physically looked okay. If you just saw them from across the room, you would assume that those kids were in perfect working order. And there was just so many similarities with the kids with the sensory processing differences and the behavioral differences and the regulatory skills that were so different. So I started just to, to tease into that a little bit and ask questions really about why so similar, why so different, etc. And then my husband and I started our foster care journey. And partway through that, um, started seeing some big concerns with our little one. And I had great professional mentorship in our community and was able to, you know, basically tap someone's shoulder at midnight and say, what do I do here? Mm. And so she directed me to the neurosequential model of therapeutics and the work of Dr. Bruce Perry and the Child Trauma Academy. And because it was my own kiddo and my own family that was being affected by this, I jumped into it with, you know, a thousand percent of everything that I had. Um, And it's just been, it'll be the work I think of my life at this point in time. So it's really, it's really rewarding. So I was able to make changes in my own home and my own approaches with my own kiddo to make our life doable and enjoyable again. So I started slowly bringing that same stuff into what I was doing with kids in the clinic. And it just morphed from there into this, um, just my primary focus at this point in time. But the kiddos that we see, uh, especially that kids that have had that in utero type trauma over that first couple of months of extreme stress of mothers and domestic violence and homelessness Mm -hmm. and lack of food and all of even that prenatal and first eight weeks or so, we just see a lot of regulation challenges with those kids. Even just the, the baseline kind of stuff of heart rate. And so we do a lot of work even on that level of just looking at heart rates and what can we do to change our heart rates and just teaching educators and teachers and parents and everyone across the board to look at kids for those type of changes and even just to to take notice of their eyes. Um, And, you know, are their pupils just taking up their whole eye socket? If we're looking, you know, that's a different kiddo than you had 15 minutes ago. And what can we do now to work with that kiddo that's back in their brainstem at that point in time? Um, And a lot of the regulatory um, challenges too that kids have. Um, anything that happens that first 18 months, we see a lot of sensory processing challenges and just how they take in sensory information and what they do with it is very, very different. A lot of differences with motor skills for those kids that have first 18 months differences. Um, and that that lasts throughout their lifetime if it's not addressed. So especially those kids with that first 18 months, I feel like they really need some very targeted interventions to make um, life enjoyable and successful in all environments. Yeah. What age are you typically seeing kids? Do they come to you that early or are they coming to you at like age eight and and you're knowing that they had trauma in early childhood like that? Right. I have a pretty good networking going on right now with our early childhood program. So I am seeing quite a few little ones. Uh, I, I think on Mondays alone, five of my seven kiddos I work with are between zero and two. Wow. So, Yes, I'm working with quite a few little ones too because of relationships I'm forming with our um, de- Department of Public Health doctors, I guess, who are seeing more of those kiddos that are um, from lower incomes and um, more stressors with socioeconomics. And they have staff in all of our schools as well. So I'll see the little ones that come in for well child and then they're also referring with their, through their elementary and middle school years for kiddos that they're seeing in school-based programs. So kind of across the board, I guess we have kiddos referred clear up to age 17 right now. 
And how are you getting paid? My brain goes automatically to the business piece. So if you're these networks, I, I love this idea of of really getting referrals for your your target client, like the the ideal client that you want to see um, in this specialty area, which I really do want to reiterate. I think this is a specialty area in OT. I think all OTs should know about it, but it definitely is a special a specialty area to work with children that have experienced trauma. And so you're, you're building all these networks. But when I hear Department of Public Health doctors, I'm like, how are these OT services being paid for? So tell us about how you've set this up. Do you take Medicaid? How does it work? You know what I do? I do take Medicaid, and that's actually the question that I would say most people ask when they make their initial call into the clinic, which is really telling for what things look like, I guess, in our community and probably nationwide. And we probably see 80 to 90% of our caseload is probably kids that are receiving medical services, which from a business standpoint, most people just gasp, how are you managing this? And um, keeping costs low, I guess, is the best so to that question, you know, we don't have a lot of overheads. We don't have fancy spaces and fancy um, furniture and iPads in the waiting room. And, the, you know, that, those are my people. Those are who I want to work with. Those are the families I want to serve. Um, and so we just make it work with the Medicaid reimbursement. So you are able to, and this is so interesting to me. I have a million questions now because I love this heart. Like my heart just welled up when you said, these are the people I want to serve because I feel like that resonates with me too. And my practice is so different than this and that we're all cash pay. And I, I hate that we can't serve kids that have Medicaid. But the reason we can't serve kids that have Medicaid is because we, I live in such a high cost of living area that Medicaid doesn't even reimburse what I have to pay my therapists. So, oh my so there's like literally... Medicaid reimburses $11 per unit in the state of California for wow. our services. And wow. so I can't make that work. Like I literally just can't make it work. Like it, it's no, not doable. So I, it makes me sad. And I feel like maybe in other, I think for the listeners of this podcast who are thinking about business, I think that it's really important to realize that in some areas it may be possible to take Medicaid because maybe the rate of reimbursement for Medicaid is a little bit higher in that area, but I was just completely appalled when I when I saw that those were the reimbursement rates. At least the last time I looked, it was probably a year or so ago. But um, so what do what does Medicaid reimburse in the state of Montana? It's just over I want to say twenty five per unit. That's doable. That's not private it's insurance doable. rates. That's not what's going, but it is. It's doable. And I'm always seeking ways to boost what I'm doing outside of direct client care to, to boost that up a little bit more. Sure. That's fabulous. So what are some of those ways you're, you're, you're doing things outside to kind of boost that, to get some more income into the business? Well, I've just started doing some presentations, which I love cool. doing. And I have also been doing the neurosequential model of therapeutics, their assessment piece. And I do that outside of a Medicaid reimbursement situation. So that assessment, the work I do with that specifically for families comes out of pocket as well. So those two things for right now, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a little bit of consulting here and there. I'm doing, um, start starting to do some consulting with a organization here in the fall. Um, so just, just some, you know, a little side gig to my side gig, really. <laughs> totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. So, so that, the neurosequential model of um, therapeutic assessment, that's what you said, right? I've, I've read a little about this. I don't know much about it. So is that something where if you get certified as an assessor, they will have your name on their website and will refer people to you who are looking into that model? Is that kind of how the referrals come? I don't know that they actively refer anybody to you, but yes, once you've done your time and your, your work and you stay updated and all of that, that your name does go on their website. And I have had some calls that come off of there that people that are just yeah. Google searching and looking for things. So yes, um, that is a possibility. Yeah, that's a, that's a way I got started. When I first moved to the Bay Area, I was doing, um, I was in school-based practice. And so I had, you know, handwriting without tears was like huge in what I was doing in the schools. 
And there's a, there's a real local market here for handwriting tutoring. And a lot of people would find my name on the Handwriting Without Tears website. So that's a good way people who are just getting started can think about what are you like really, really interested in interested in and what's fun for you to do and maybe look and see if there's something like the neurosequential model or handwriting without tears um, level one certification or whatever that that you could get your name maybe on a website that parents are going to go looking for and find it online and then maybe you'll get a few people coming through there so it's like a a way to get referrals that are easy right Absolutely. I have also done a mentorship for a week at the Star Center down in Denver, Colorado. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. And the same thing there. I'll have people call that you're one of the three in Montana that are listed. And so, yeah, those are good ways just to do some other side marketing, really. Yeah. The Star Center model is fabulous. I love how they involve parents. I just think that's so important for sensory needs. Um, It's a great, it's a great model. I, someday I'm going to, I want to go to that myself at maybe like six years from now, but... (laughs) There's always more to learn as an OT. That's the best thing about our profession, I think. But Okay, back to the business stuff. I wanted to ask you about your rebranding. So this is something that's really interesting to me because I think that it could help a lot of people who maybe have been going along in private practice or maybe have been thinking about growing but are just kind of feeling a little bit nervous. Like I think rebranding it kind of has this idea of refreshment and a new start and renewal. And I think that that could really encourage people who are listening to hear how you went through that process and how you decided to do that. Well, well, I have probably a little bit of a different story on on that perspective is that I've been sharing space with someone for so long that my business name legally was just Erica Shoup OT. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of used everyone knew me by the facility that I was renting space in and that's just where I was. So when it became time to take a shift, I, you know, I know some professions put just their name in their profession up on a sign, but that just, that definitely didn't speak to me. So I did, I just went and kind of came up with a logo in my head and what my thoughts were on where I wanted to take this and contacted someone and had a new logo and a new name registered with the state and used that out of my old location for just a couple of months and then just um, put it out there on all the media platforms I could think about that were handy, website, all of that. And that's just how I kind of put it out there. Of, you know, I'm making this huge transition. There's new space, same person, same thing, right. but this is where we're going to grow this. Yes. And, and the key to that rebranding in my mind is that you took the, the, um, the concepts that you wanted, like Wild Roots Therapy. I want to hear about why you picked that name. I think I know what it signifies, but I would love for people to hear the process you go through when you think about a name. So that's the next question. But I, I think it's cool that you did that and took your name out of the title because that means you can grow your business because it's great to start as an as a solopreneur, just with your name, OT, whatever. But if you really want to grow the business, you have to you have to decrease people's reliance upon you as the person who is going to provide the service and, and talk about the business and the brand as a whole so that the, the public sees it as a, a unified business and not as, I just want to see Erica. I don't want to see any other therapist, you know, <laughs> because Erica yeah, is the person, you know. So yeah, tell me about so your name. I want to hear about the name. I'm so, I, love um, yeah, I actually did a little even Facebook video about that probably a year and a half ago because I do get a lot of questions and um, I love the woman, that, the local woman d- designed my logo that knows me. So she did her first draft. And I was like, yes, you know me. And there That's it is. Awesome. Well, part of the roots for sure is just the little ones that we work with. Um, and even the big ones that we work with have some wild roots. Yeah. <laughs> And I love those wild roots. Um, and another reason is I'm a Wyoming and a Montana girl. So I feel like I too have a little bit of wild roots. And that definitely has shaped me into the adult that I am today. Just that kind of an upbringing in wild spaces. Yeah. So, you know, just kind of a two, two part reason, um, clients and personally. Oh, I just love it. That's what I thought. I, I was thinking along <laughs> those lines, but I wanted you to be able to share like what it meant to you. And I just, I just love it. It's a beautiful name. And I think it, it really, it, it really has meaning for what you do. So really cool. Okay. So when you, um, when you rebranded, you said you doubled your space within 18 months and doubled your staff. So how many staff do you have right now and how much space do you have? Like maybe tell us what you started with and then what you've gone to now. 
okay. Um, I, there was just my, I was trying to work about three or four days a week and I had a brand new therapist who had been my intern and she was working four days a week and they weren't long days. We we weren't beating ourselves up over here. And we probably had about, I don't know, 1800 or 2000 square feet. We had quite a bit of square footage really. That's big for your first clinic. That's awesome. I know it seemed like so much space (laughs) (laughs) until, (laughs) until I've always wanted to have a multidisciplinary option. I know there's only, there's stuff that OT can do, but then there's always like, I want to high five and hand that kiddo off to someone else with some different expertise. So we were trying to think how many months we were only about six or eight months in. And I had a counselor here in town contact me about, Hey, this is what I want to do. And I love what you're doing. Could we meet? And so, you know, six, eight months in, we had another therapist in. And so we had about four different little spaces to work. And then we had a professional space with three of us kind of getting tucked in there together. And then she, she was, you know, how long is it going to take me to be full time? Do you think? I was like, I don't know, six weeks. (laughs) And sure enough, she did not want to move that fast. And sure enough, about six weeks later, um, she's running a sub- separate business and co-leasing with me now. Same, the same pattern repeats itself a little bit. Um, and <laughs> I think it was probably six or eight weeks that she was just full. Um, and then our OT caseload was just busting at the seams. And I know I knew that we needed to hire someone and I knew we needed more space. But looking around, I was like, oh, I have a two-year lease. What do I do? So I walked out of the office one day and just kind of happened to look next door. And I was like, that spot's been open for six months. There's no one leasing next door and got some keys and went and wandered around. I was like, well, this, I don't even have to move. I'll just knock some walls out. So that's what we ended up doing is just knocking the walls out (laughs) into next door, which was perfect because I didn't have to move anything. And um, I really worked hard to make it seem like a cohesive space. So I painted the walls the same color and all of that. Um, And so now I think we have, I think we're probably just around 5,000 or 100, I'm not sure, um, which has been fabulous. And I feel like we've been here the whole time and I hired another OT. (laughs) So now you have three, you have two full-time OTs or three? Three, if you counting myself. Um, And then we weren't working any Fridays and now we have patients on Fridays. um, And then the counselor is also full, full full-time. So we have four, four people working out of here full-time. And do you, how do you manage, this is just a one-off question a little bit. How do you manage um, staff meetings? Do you guys meet together weekly? Do you meet with the counselor? Is the counselor kind of consulting as needed with you guys about certain clients or how do you manage the communication? I think that's a key thing with multi, multidisciplinary practice is like communication with the team often kind of is hard. It's a challenging thing. And I'm wondering how you guys manage that. Right. Well, I, I did. I declared that we had two professional office spaces and they're right next door to each other. And so we have plenty of room for desks and just storage things and all of that and can sit with the door closed and kind of, you know, just staff between each other and give ideas and all of that. So we do a ton of that with kids, um, just toss ideas around and problem solve and give each other feedback on this is what I heard during this session and maybe try this for next time. So I feel like we do a great job of working together on those things kind of constantly and even <laughs> even during a session of hey, I think, look at him, this might be a good idea, even across the lines between OT and counseling of this, you know, just throwing ideas out at each other while we're kind of working. Um, and then we, we just started, we have always had lunch at least once or twice a week at the same time for a full hour blocked out. And just this month we went all the way to this is a catered once a month meeting and we're doing a journal reading and just kind of tossing up anything that might need discussed during that. So um, I don't oh, I feel cool. like all day, all day communication and then really in structured communication a couple times during the week and like almost formal communication once a month at this point in time. Yeah, that's great. And it built like catering the lunch makes it feel special to, to yeah. your employees too, right? Like it just feels like a fun time, even though it's something they have to do for work and yeah. 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 That's and that's awesome. That's, Another local small business woman who I just love is catering. I'm so I'm, it's perfect. <laughs> that's great. That's great. So you mentioned, I'm going to change gears a little bit here, but you mentioned to me in some previous conversations over email that business coaching has played a role in your own evolution as a business owner. And I'm so, I'm so a proponent of this because it has helped me so much too. And I would love to hear what your experience has been with business coaching and how you feel like it has helped you. 
Yeah, I think I jumped into that. Gosh, probably at the end of 2007, I reached out to a couple of my, I don't, mentors is probably a good word. And one of them was like, well, hey, while you're reaching out to me, this is the coaching. I'm, I'm moving my health and fitness kind of coaching more into business model coaching. And she's also in the healthcare field. And you want to jump on with me and do that? Yes, I need all the help I can get at this point in time. Right. So I started that right away um, before my transition. And it has been just a game changer. I mean, all of those coaching type things that you read and hear about, I mean, just mindsets and financial pieces and you know, how do you use Instagram and how do you yeah. use this? And that? I mean, all of those little teeny pieces and marketing and managing your money. And I mean, just all of it, all of those pieces really help. And I feel like the, the mind shift pace that helped with that initially for me is what's really been the most beneficial um, because it just keeps me forward. Does that sound weird? <laughs> yeah, no, it doesn't. I want you to talk more about that. So when you say the mind shift piece for me, tell people what exactly you mean by that. With just even going into like a growth mindset and a positive mindset and even a money mindset. And that one makes me so uncomfortable as someone who works in healthcare and a service industry and works mostly with low income families and kids from hard spaces. You know, how can I put a financial lens on that at all. Uh, so yeah. navigating just even through some of those big feelings about you still are running a business. <laughs> yes. Not ahead all the time. So all of that and just being forward and not look, I mean, I've made so many mistakes in the last eight years, but not living in those, I guess, too, right. is another piece of just forward. Like, yes, you did that. Move it on. <laughs> yes. you know, what's next? How will we not do that again? Um, so that just that growth piece in all of those areas has been fantastic through some coaching. Yeah, that's great. The mindset piece is so big. And, and you just, I don't know if it ever ends as an entrepreneur, like just constantly having to check your mindset and remind yourself of all those things, the things you should think instead of the things that your brain goes to, you know? <laughs> yeah, so along those lines, uh, the next question I wanted to ask you is about, what strategies or practices help you when you're stuck as an entrepreneur? I go off the grid quite a bit. Um, back to some wild roots, aren't we? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. I do that several times a year for at least 10 days. Like I vanish. Like if I have my choice, I have no internet. I'm in a tent. I'm in Central America and I'm really just off. And I feel like any of those, even weekends, if I do kind of a mini reset weekend like that, where I don't do much, those are so what my brain needs. And I'll come out of those weekends and I haven't, you know, I haven't done anything that on paper looks productive, but I'll have all of this journaling done. Yep. And just even from that journaling piece and just the reset and being away from all of it, um, that just really seems to catapult me and keep me going forward. And I don't even know if I'm on the question anymore. <laughs> no, you are. You are. Absolutely. It's like what helps you get back when you're stuck. And right, right. that is absolutely, that's a strategy I think more of us need to to do because I think our tendency, I don't know, maybe I'm just speaking for myself. You can let me know. But our tendency is to be like, I don't have time. I don't have time to go anywhere. I don't have time to, to take for myself. I don't have time to do. But really, you're just becoming more and more inefficient and ineffective when you're sitting there spinning your wheels, getting frustrated and overwhelmed and over, you know, flooded with everything you need to do. I mean, it, it's on a mini level, like you might just need to go take a walk outside. And on a macro level, you might need to go off grid for 10 days to really reset. And I think that's awesome advice for people. Yeah. And I've actually put, I have a pretty active yoga practice that I try to stay tuned in with. And I have that in red and on my schedule for everyone to see, like anyone who pulls up our computer documentation system will see, Oh, Eric is at yoga now. Like that's, and I don't, right. I don't even, I don't even apologize. I'm like, no, I'm not available at that time. Right. Just made that a priority. Yeah. So prioritizing your own health and wellness, I think, is something that a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with, too, because we're all about serving and we want to help. And it's easy to let our own um, our own wellness go. So that's such good advice. Such, such good advice. Take care of yourself, people. That is what we're hearing here from Erica. <laughs> and I wish I could remember the, um, I think it's Kate Northrup, and I might be using the wrong name, and she has a book out called Do Less. 
Yeah, I think I just saw this. That's so funny. You know how sometimes you see something and then all of a sudden you hear about it in multiple places, like the universe telling you you need to read it. That's probably something I need to read. (laughs) So I actually read that, I think this spring, and it was just kind of my summer goal even. I was like, just do less. Just just do less. And it's been great. (laughs) It's so hard as entrepreneurs to do that, I think. Especially, I mean, I'm just a super busy, like I love, I'm energized by the work I'm doing right now, at least. Absolutely. Absolutely. But but it is like, it, it is a common entrepreneur pro I, I hate the word entrepreneur I can never say it right entrepreneur entrepreneur problem that we do too much you know we just take too much on because we're so interested in so many things and it's I need to read this book I, yeah. I hope it doesn't make me drop out of my PhD program but <laughs> PhD program. well and to even just around office things and I think too that that scrap it together I can do it myself kind of attitude that a lot of entrepreneurs have um kills you. And if you think yeah. about that, that mindset shift to time is your most valuable thing is yeah. huge because I have more people working for me now doing all sorts of random things than I've ever had. And it's fine. It's not hurting the bottom line. And I'm certainly more happy. I looked the other day and I was like, I have an accountant. I have a lawyer. I have a bookkeeper. I have a cleaning service. I have three therapists. I have someone doing the filing. I have, I mean, and it's, it's fine. It's great. It's so much better. Yeah. Um, but I always am in the mindset of, I can't afford that. I can't afford that. I can't afford that. Yeah, you can. Right. Because if time right. is your most valuable resource, how do we get it back? There it yeah. is. All those things off my plate. Along that line, do you have someone doing any office? Um, do you have an office manager or no? No, I do have a, I have a billing service. Okay. That's off, I, that is off site. Um, I have a woman who is coming in currently one day a week. And I think we're going to shift that to several half days that does more of the office management kind of stuff. But um, no, again, that goes back to uh, 80% Medicaid. <laughs> right. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. Right. That's why I was asking because I was wondering how you guys manage all of that. So mm-hmm. your intake process, you guys are doing most of your intake. Each therapist is doing the intake for their own children, essentially. Right. right. And I did put my forms online this year, but that has been met with quasi success. We'll see where that goes. I'm going to try and streamline it a little bit for next year so that families at least could fill out forms. Or if someone from a program in our community contacts me with a referral, they have copies of my paperwork. And so they can actually sit down and go through it with the family, just the background information and insurance stuff and all right. of that. And they can bring that in completed. Um, right. So that does help. But I actually do a lot of those intake kind of phone calls, at least on my own. And it might be a control thing, but I, I really feel like I'm trying to delegate families to, to the best fit for therapist. Yeah. Um, you know, who does this person need? Um, yeah. Who would serve their needs? Doesn't this have to be me? Are you going on a six month waiting list or can I get you rolling with a newer therapist? Um, so I do, I do do a lot of that intake stuff and probably is something that should come off my plate. But that is... That is, at this point in the business, it sounds like that is a good use of your time. You're kind of the one who has the lens to be able to do that. And I think that's, as business owners, we always are struggling with this, like, does this really take my brain or could someone else do this as the business owner or can someone else do this? And I think it sounds like you're really thinking through that in a wise way um, to, to kind of screen those, those calls. Um, With paperwork, what do you, so for your intake forms, this is going down a little rabbit hole, but I think people will be interested in this. For your intake forms, what format are you using to put those online? Because we know we're always thinking about HIPAA compliance and things like that. So how are people accessing those and then how are they getting those back to you? Kind of what's your process for the paperwork piece? It's probably the 80s is where we're at right now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's awesome. We do a lot of faxing. Um, I, we have gone online and we use online software for writing up our evaluations and getting patient information in there and, um, you know, daily notes and all of that it, and scheduling and stuff. That is all in a computer and in a computer system. But I have a couple of insurance companies I work with that want things printed off and mailed to them or printed off and scanned or faxed. So I do do that. So all of my kiddos actually do have paper files still. Okay. 
which seems seems so old school, but um, and I'm also in my 40s. I like to hold the paper. I want to look at the things. Yep. I want to talk to parents and hold stuff in my hands and not look at a screen. So you know, locked door, locked room is you know right. where where quite a bit of our things are, and we've merged them. The millennials I employ are so good at helping me push that into the computer system. But I even print off my schedule every week. They don't. <laughs> yeah. 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 I know that we're on that age. I'm 43 right now. So we're right at that age where it was like technology came while we were like going to college sort of. <laughs> and so, it's like, so what, uh, what software are you using? What's the online software you guys use for your EMR? We are using WebFusion. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's an expensive one. Yeah. That's a nice, they have like lots of features, lots. Yeah. And I probably don't use all of the features that I should do. Um, and I just learned about, I just keep learning about new features. So I'm definitely, I, every time I look at the charges for that, I'm like, oh, is this worth it for us? But um, I, I use the billing and I just can push a button and that goes, you know, over to my billing service and things. And so that cuts out a lot of time for me too. Um, and be able to rearrange the schedules and print things out for parents and put stuff in for doctors. I mean, I, I'm using it, but probably definitely not to its full effect. But I think it sounds like you probably need it because it sounds like you're using a lot of the features that you need to pay for. I mean, that's why it's an expensive uh, EMR is because it offers billing and scheduling and direct, you know, um, the emails, email functionality for HIPAA compliance and all that stuff. So, you know, it's probably worth it for you, like for your practice. And you have a, you have a lot of full-time therapists. I mean, even three full-time therapists, that's a lot of kids you're serving. And so... I think it sounds like a, a good decision to use it. I've heard great things about it. It just doesn't make sense for my practice. But um, Right, right. I and I have are, that's the biggest question online. People are always like, what EMR do you use on every forum I'm on? And I'm, so I know people want that information from people. So I thought I'd ask you which one you right. use. I have used it a little bit, I guess, this last year too, when I've had um, issues with families not coming in, which doesn't happen a lot. But when I, you know, I, I do kind of call a family and say, Hey, I, you know, I've, I've got have to let you go. I, you have this prime spot. I've been holding on to it for months and I, right. I can't keep this going six months further and I can pull up on the computer. Well, it says you've missed, you know, eight out of 10 appointments here. And these are the reasons given. And here's, here's cold, hard facts instead of just, right. Things. So I have used that a little bit too, just to look at, you know, tracking that kind of data as well. And it also lends a professional face to your business when you can do that, when you can pull up the documents and say, like, we've been documenting and it shows here that, you know, right. so EMRs are, are a way technology can help us free up time in our business, I think. But okay, I, we're, we're to our last couple of questions. So I, you alluded to it a little earlier and I so wanted to ask it then, but I refrained and inhibited my impulse. But I want to know the question we always ask people at the end is what is the biggest mistake you've made in your business and what did you learn from it and how can others avoid it? Ooh, I think that's, I have like a three tiered piece to that. All right. Um, I have not had the financial piece for me and the math piece for me in general is just not my strong suit. And I think that between a good accountant a good bookkeeper and a good billing service that I have now, I can look back at the last eight, nine years and go, well, those were all mistakes. <laughs> not having them or not having a good one has cost me so much of my time, energy, money, stress, etc. that if I could rewind anything, I would replace all of, I would place all of the three people I have now at the very first day I started. Okay, I'm that is such good advice for people. On a on a previous episode I think I said this, but I just have to share it. I met with a a friend who's an she's like a lawyer for an entrepreneurial business firm in San Francisco and she just, she met with me for free cuz she's my friend. But the piece of advice she gave me, the one thing I remember from our first meeting when I was going to start up my business was do not walk, run to your nearest bookkeeper and get someone to do your books, you are not going to be able to do this. You will think you're doing it right and you will not do it right from the very beginning. You need to have a bookkeeper. And I was like, okay, I will do that. So I agree with you because that is, 
I, I can't imagine, like I would have made QuickBooks a mess if I, <laughs> which I don't even use anymore, but it was, it was a very good piece of advice. And I think that's excellent advice from you to everyone listening that you need to get the finance piece in place at the very beginning of your business because we're not experts in that as OTs and we need people to help us do that. So that's right. really, really good and advice. Super practical. My second, my second accountant, the one I have now, who's the most patient man on the face of the planet for dealing with me, <laughs> uh, he, that's, I brought all my stuff in at one point in time and he was like, yep, I have a couple of therapists and medically type people. This is not your, this is not your <laughs> scope of genius right here. Good job. <laughs> good job bringing it in. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Tells it like it is. That's what you want right. for someone managing your finances, right? You, got, well, you want to hear it like it really is. Absolutely. So, so to end on a really good note, I want to hear what is going really well right now in your business and what tips do you have for others to experience the same kind of success? I think communication in our staff is amazing and our collaboration and just how we work together and interact with each other I feel like is really great um, and I feel like just having some some boundaries but the right boundaries and um, but really open lines of communication are what's making everything just work so smoothly um, loving the people that I'm working with and um, gosh I don't even know I don't know what else to say there when you just, say, no it's great it's great it's actually a very good um, I want to hear you talk a little more about the right boundaries. When you said that, what do you mean? Um, I'm not, I would not say I'm a super confrontational person. I, I definitely speak my mind a lot, but I, when I need people to do things differently, I'm like, oh, but maybe they're just doing it their way. You know, I kind of want right. to sit back and see if they'll get it sorted out. So I feel like I'm becoming much more direct, which I think also is just coming with some age of, hey, I noticed and let's try this, or would you be open to trying this? Or what are your thoughts on that? Do we need a class? Um, and just kind of putting everything out there all the time um, and not waiting until it's a huge issue has been, is just puts me in a great spot with everyone I feel. Yeah, that's just approaching, sounds like you really approach communication in a very open-hearted way with positive intent and assuming others have positive intent and, and, taking it like a collaborative thing rather than let me tell you how I think this should be done as the owner, you know? <laughs> so that's, that's so great. I, I've, I've heard that from several people that I've interviewed that the people that you work with are really going to make or break your workday essentially and your business as a whole. And so being thoughtful, it sounds like you have been thoughtful about who you hire because those are the people you're going to be spending your days with and working very closely with to support kids. So absolutely. And we, we need another therapist right now, but I always joke that um, I'll only hire my interns (laughs) because they've had a 12 week interview. (laughs) That is fabulous advice. Actually, that is great advice because that is essentially a way I think too many, um, this is something like kind of I straddle the world of academia and private practice, right? And I, I realize that when therapists take on a level two student or now that a lot of programs are moving to capstone projects, a, a, a OTD capstone student who's doing a, a significant project in your practice, you are taking on, as a business owner, you're taking on a lot of time that you're going to spend with that person or you're going to be paying your staff members to be spending a lot of time with that person. But I have never thought about it that way, that that is an excellent way to really see if someone's a good fit for your business. That is, that's golden advice right there, Erica, because it is, it's like a 12 week interview to see if they're a really good fit. Yep. It is super interesting. We have um, one started this week and one just left a few weeks ago. And from the moment she arrived, it was like, well, hasn't she just always been here? <laughs> just so, yeah. so she had already accepted a job before she arrived. I was like, oh no, you're meant to be here. <laughs> I know. It's so, that is, that's something I just recently heard on a business podcast I was listening to. I think it was Donald Miller's. I can't really remember. But one one of the things that the person being interviewed said is that we hire for personality. We don't really hire for um, for I mean, they need to have basic skills, but right. but 
you can't change someone's personality. You can't change like who they are as a person, like their, their attitude towards life or the way they approach conversations with people or just all those little things that make up the whole culture of your company. And to, to find someone who's a good fit is hard. I won't hire people. I'll just wait. I, I won't provide services if I can't, if I don't have someone that I can hire to provide the services that I feel super confident is going to represent my business well. And I think um, it's hard to do that. It's, it's easy to just hire because you really want to grow the business and you have kids that need therapy or clients that need therapy. But, but really being thoughtful about hiring, I think, can make or break your experience as a business owner. I think that's absolutely. And just um, the two women that I'm working with right now, we, we laughed that we took an Enneagram test and make sure we filled in all the holes <laughs> <laughs> because we quite a bit of differences between the three of us, but the strengths that even our newest uh, hire brings to the table, it's like, we can't do it without you anymore. You've only been here for nine months, but um, you're just, you were a piece of the team that we needed. So we're so glad that you're here. And well, and I, I buy a lot of logo gear. And so I'm like, are these, are these women, these therapists, people that I want at the gym and in my shirt with my logo on it. And they are, <laughs> they yes. actually, they're fabulous. Yeah. I'm yeah. glad who knows that they're part of my team. So. And the Enneagram, that's, that's another little gold nugget you're dropping right here at the end. The Enneagram, it's, it's, Weirdly spelled for how it's pronounced, it's E-N-N-E-A-G-R-A-M, Enneagram, if any of you want to look it up. Um, it is a very powerful tool for helping people learn about themselves, but also how to interact with other people on a team, right? So I have a therapist who's a five, and I know that when I, when I communicate with this therapist, I need to give this therapist time to process, you know, because they're an internal processor. They're going to think and mull on things and then give their opinion. And so me being an eight, I'm very direct and opinionated. And so it can be hard to communicate if you don't know that about one another, you know, and, and it helps you give people grace. It helps you just know that that's kind of how they're built as a person. And it helps you know how to communicate with them and best work together. And it is, it is a fabulous, in fact, you just reminded me, I'm not sure I had my newest hire do it and I need to send her the little link and have her let me know what she is because, because I think it really helps me as a business owner and how I communicate um, and builds kind yeah, of team. Absolutely. Yeah, it builds kind of team awareness because you can talk with one another about it and, and understand one another a little bit. It's not the whole picture of who you are, but it's so helpful in explaining yeah. behavior. Yeah, we, we even will joke about it. We're like, hey, number one, <laughs> We need right. this. This is going to have to go on your plate. <laughs> oh, totally. I, I have another one of my therapists is a one and I often tell them like, this is your oneness and I love you for this, you know, like, because I'm not a one. Like, it's just so anyway. Yes, we're probably speaking Greek to like people who know nothing about this. So right. Right. Enneagram conversation here. I mean, honestly, I think it would be really interesting. Maybe we should bring you back on Erica to talk all about the Enneagram together because that is, I feel like that is a topic that could really help a lot of business owners in, that is a topic that could fill a whole podcast for an hour, just talking about the different types and how it can help you as a business owner. So yay, future podcast idea. Thank you so much for bringing Perfect. that up. <laughs> so Erica, I want everyone to be able to connect with you online, wherever you hang out. So tell people how they can find you and your practice. Okay. My website currently needs some revisions. So I'm working on that in the next few weeks. And that is wildrootstherapy.org. And then we also have Wild Roots Therapy on Facebook and we have a Wild Roots Therapy Instagram as well. So we use those two platforms. Great. Oh, I'm so, this was just, I took so many notes and I feel like you shared so much that's going to be so helpful to so many people who are OTs running businesses. And I'm so thankful to you for taking time out of your very busy schedule to be here. So we appreciate you. Well, thank you for the invite. This has been fun. Yeah, thanks. We'll talk again soon. Maybe Enneagram. <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Oh, I'm sure you were inspired as I was listening to Erica speak about her practice and just hearing her heart for what she does and how she's created a business that really grew out of her own experience and her own passion for a very specific area of OT practice. 
Ironically for me, I think my action step from this episode is what Erica talked about in doing less. So anyone who's listened to this podcast for a little bit knows that I'm just, I'm doing a lot of stuff right now in my life. (laughs) And I love it all so much. But I think that I'm full now. My cup is full and I need to just focus on the things that I'm doing and do them really well. And I, I think I'm doing that pretty well, but I just liked that idea of doing less, doing what I need to do and not trying to take on more at this point in my business ownership. So maybe you guys can think about that too. It's an action step that is a more reflective action step, thinking about how you could do less and be more satisfied in the work that you're doing. There's a bunch of other action steps you may choose to take from this episode too, but I wanted to share that one because it was one I was thinking about for myself. Along those lines, I wanted to share with you guys that I am thinking about how I manage and produce the podcast, and I really need your feedback. I need your feedback to know if it is helpful to you that there are show notes and a blog post affiliated with this podcast. It takes a pretty significant amount of time as I go through and edit the episodes and then take all the notes and package them to make them pretty on the website. Um, And I'm just wondering if people use them or if maybe you don't use them. I can think of a handful of times, honestly, for myself that I've gone back to a podcast show notes to actually look at something. So if you like the show notes, it is very important that you go to this episode. It will be mindyourotbusiness.com slash podcast slash 12. Go to the website and just put a comment on those show notes to say, yes, I read these. Yes, yes, like them. Whatever whatever you want to say to vote that you want the show notes. Because if people are not reading the show notes, I'm not really sure why I'm doing them. So I'm just trying to take a poll and find out if you guys want those. I am happy, 100% happy to keep doing them if they are actually being read. But you know, in the in the efforts to minimize and keep things simple, I'm just wondering if that's really necessary or if people are mostly consuming podcast co- content by listening to it, which is what I do primarily. But everyone's not like me. So I want to hear from you guys and I want you to tell me if the list and the notes that are in the blog post are really helpful to you. That's it for this week. Remember, small steps make great gains over time. So until next time, mind your OT business.